0: Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to grilling Jr with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim
1: Ross, Jim, how are you, man? I'm good Conrad. Good. i got one more treatment remaining. As a matter of fact, uh, I got, yeah, one more treatment remaining. God, I can't hardly believe I said that pretty cool. as we're recording this on Wednesday morning or Tuesday morning. So, so we'd be straight there, and transparent. Uh, I did my 21st treatment this morning. I'm just getting back from it. So here I've be, and I got one left and then I'm going to come home and shower up, head to work,
0: man, I can't wait. (laughs) I hope everybody checked it out last night. The return of Jim Ross to AEW dynamite all is right with the world. I can't believe it, man. This year is over. What a crazy year it's been. for everyone, but maybe you, most of all, I mean, this has got to be one of the more challenging years of your life, just with all the COVID challenges and not that you had it, but everybody's trying to be safe and you get vaccinated and Hey, we're getting back on the road. And then dang, you have this little hiccup at the end of the year, but just like out of a movie right there at the end of the year, you pulled the nose up, man, the spirit of 76. Here we go.
1: Yeah. We pulled a nose up. All right. And, uh, boy, I really do, uh. I'm so grateful for everybody's best wishes and the text messages, the tweets. It's just heartwarming and it's really cool. When people think that we don't see those messages or we don't care, uh, we are being a quasi personality or celebrity. I use that term loosely, by the way, uh, it means a lot. So those have been really heartwarming and blessed, blessed messages. So I'm really excited about, uh getting back to work, man. And right now is a good time. You know, uh, the products hot, AEW is hotter than hell. And we, Tony Khan just keeps building that, that deeper talented, uh, uh, you know, a uh, roster, you know, there's no reason whatsoever to not have at least one or two great matches every week on, on, uh, dynamite and, or rampage, no reason with this roster, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a Booker's dream. Cause we got some studs here, man, that can work. And I just love to be around them and I want to help document what they're doing with my voice as I can. And that's a, that's the game plan, Connie. That's what the old good, good Lord put my fat ass here to do. So I'm I'm here to do it.
0: Well, I'll tell you man. I, uh, I had the misfortune of watching the show we're covering today. Starcade 91. Of course I watched it live when it happened, but I went back and watched it again earlier today and boy, you want to talk about a loaded roster. Well, we've got one here, but unfortunately Mr. Hurd and Mr. Runnels didn't have much of a plan for what to do with them. This is probably a, a, a good idea on paper, but poor in execution. But the highlight of the whole show, Jim was your call. I just loved the, the, the WCW Jim Ross. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know everybody loves the black cowboy hat and all the great things that you (laughs) did with Vince McMahon and Jerry, the King Lawler, and now continue to do them with AEW dynamite, but this was a very sports feel Jim Ross was talking about, you know, this young stud out of so-and-so high school and -and so-and-so college who lettered in this and did accomplish that and blah, blah, blah. It felt very, uh, legitimate. And there's even commercials in this show saying, you know, baseball has the world series football has, uh, the super bowl wrestling has super brawl and, and battle bowl and super brawl very much feel like dusty Rhodes' ideas, uh, based on real sport, you know, there was the NBA lottery for draft picks. So, I mean, I get how we, how we got to these ideas, but it does feel like WCW is at least trying to return to some some sports, if that makes sense. And man, you were on your game here, buddy.
1: Oh, thanks. Uh, well, you know, we weren't doing a lot of uh, high level and we should have been, uh, vignettes and, uh, those, those, those type pieces. So it was important for me as a broadcaster to make sure that the audience knew who these cats were as simple as that, uh, they can't come out as nameless and faceless. We had to create. Uh, an image for them and the best thing to use to uh, base that on i think is their real background no no the guy's been in prison for 13 years i might not go there (laughs) but other than that man you gotta you gotta create a a a feel a nuance who who, what does this character represent and why should i give a shit so that's kind of what we did and i appreciate the compliment It was a tough time to work there at that point, boy, tough.
0: Uh, You know, I I can totally see how we got here in terms of the idea. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little more, but I want to add context to this. This is Jim heard's last pay-per-view. This is the last major show under the herd regime. This goes down on December 29th. So as you're listening to this yesterday was the 30 year anniversary of this show. He would ultimately resign from WCW slash be fired January 8th. So like a week and change later, he's out of here. And we're fresh off of Halloween havoc 91. That was our most recent pay-per-view. Of course, in October, we had Lex Luger defending his world title over Ron Simmons, the return of Paulie dangerously, the debut of ravishing Rick rude and WCW. And that awful chamber of horrors match where Abdullah, <laughs> the butcher was electrocuted in the middle of the ring. And that's how we started the show. It's just a crazy time in WCW to say the least.
1: Reaching for new direction, new texture in the creative can oftentimes, uh, result in what we're talking about. It was a gimmick show and it wasn't, I don't know. It was not good at all. The pay-per-view is not a good pay-per-view. Uh, there were some moments, there's no doubt. And I haven't said one time, well, this guy called it in. This guy was a lazy piece of shit. He didn't want to work. He just want to get paid. I'm not going to go there with any individual, but, but it was just poorly booked and put together.
0: We, um, we should also add some context that we've got a, a clash of the champions in between. And this is very much the era where we're doing syndicated TV tapings weeks and sometimes months in advance. Uh, obviously that's not the case anymore. I mean, these days, if a show is taped, it's usually taped a few days ahead of time, not a few weeks ahead of time, but Meltzer would write, uh, they've reassigned the event coordinators. Once again, chip Burnham will be doing the old mid South territory plus Georgia and Florida,
1: David started out by the way, Conrad, excuse me. Chip Burnham started out as, uh, an accountant signed to WCW and, uh, then he kind of got his toe in the water. I think basically, uh, at the Omni cause he was local. So, uh, he was, uh, 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 ambitious. Is what I'm trying to say so, uh, but he worked there many years and I heard, uh, not too many years ago, he, he passed away very young of cancer. So, you know, that has a whole new meaning for me now, uh, quite frankly. So, uh, but chip was a good guy and, and he kind of got caught up in the being one of the boys. I was of the boys go when the shows are over to the hotel bar Yeah, and the promoter goes and buys drinks. <laughs> so there you go. He fit right in and it was a, it was a fun guy to be around.
0: So Meltzer would say Chip's going to handle the old Mid South territory plus Georgia and Florida. David Crockett's going to be doing the Carolinas, and uh, Dave would say I've got no idea who's doing the West Coast, and Gary Juster will be doing the Northeast and Midwest. I guess we should add some context to that. Event coordinators; these are going to be the guys who are who are helping book buildings, dealing with the buildings, coordinating. Right. You know, advertising.
1: Co- yes, buying the ads on the radio stations or the newspaper, lining up media appearances. Uh, when they were able to do so, uh, that's what they did. And, uh, then they were the liaison between, uh, uh, the company and the arenas and the local marketplace in general.
0: We know, uh, David Crockett's going to be a part of WCW until they close their doors. And we just recently saw him in Greensboro on the yeah, that cool. show. That was a cool little moment for Mr. Crockett huh?
1: Yeah, I liked that. I thought that was a, a real nice touch to of, uh, of David presenting Cody, the, uh, TNT title. I, I didn't even think of that. He was there. It makes all the sense in the world. It was kind of, uh, ceremonial. So I thought it was pretty cool. I'm glad that, uh, Tony Khan did that. Nice move.
0: You uh, gave us some, some background and concept, uh, or context on Chip Burnham, but let's talk about Gary Juster. Gary Jester was involved in the business, I guess, up until a few weeks ago when ring of honor went down. Uh, it's a name that we hear a lot, but a lot of folks may be curious. What exactly did Gary do for WCW and ring of honor? Um, what was your experience working with, with Gary? I
1: love working with Gary. He's still a dear friend has been for gosh, Conrad since the eighties. He was, he was a market rep. He was an event coordinator. He market rep promoter. There's a zillion synonyms that will work in that, in that space. But he, he started out, I, he started out working in the AWA and he was a Vern Gagne guy and he grew up in Minneapolis, did Gary. And then he's a lawyer by trade That never hurts. So, uh, I got to be very close to Gary. He's always a good confidant, smart, uh, and did it Somebody else scoop him up if they're smart, if they're doing indie shows or Things like that, he's really, really good, and I, I know he'll land on his feet, and as thrifty as my dear friend, the just, my God, uh, as thrifty as he is, Conrad, he won't need a uh, go fund me. he'll be cool) <laughs>
0: Let's talk about, uh, Mike Graham he's covered in the observer here. Uh, he has been removed as a road agent. He's going to be getting back into the ring. In fact, we're going to see him on this show and boy, the Graham's have such a, a rich history in wrestling. Of course, you've probably seen Mike Graham on some WWE DVD over the years saying that Jeff Jarrett broke a thousand guitars and never drew a dime. Uh, he was, uh, <laughs> your partner.
1: Yeah. You had to throw that in there. Didn't you? <laughs> well, I
0: just think <laughs> the it's, it's, you are Fame Probably the most famous quote about Jeff Jarrett that was ever on a WWE DVD. Uh, just the way he moved his head when he said it is comical, but you spent a little bit of time with him on those old legends of wrestling round tables. And of course, working with him over the yep. years, what can you tell us about Mike and, and his value to the business for so long?
1: Well, you, you value guys that have experience and knowledge from that specific era. And, you know, Mike, uh, was the son of arguably the, the most intelligent booker ever, Eddie Graham's the, I mean, kind of, he kind of the, the guy, I mean, when I talked to cowboy Bill Watts about it, cause I was always amazed at Watts' brilliance he learned everything from Eddie. And he'll, and he'll, he'll tell you that. So, uh. Uh, he had that, that, that DNA and he did, did Mike and, uh, he, he, he was really wanting to, he'd love for the clock to be wound back and, you know, and even though uh, he was getting up in age to get back in the ring, he could still wrestle. So, uh, I I, uh, always enjoyed Mike's conversations. He was very outspoken and. You didn't, have, you didn't have to wonder what he was thinking, which is always refreshing. So uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed my time with Mike. I didn't have a lot of it, but uh, I, I enjoyed every minute that I was around him. He was uh, unpredictable, knowledgeable, and uh, just fun to, fun to hang with.
0: What about Dick the bruiser? He passes away here on November 11th on our March to Starcade 91. Uh, that's a, a name from yesteryear. A lot of yeah. our younger listeners have probably never even seen Dick the bruiser. What can you tell us about the bruiser?
1: Well, for years, I thought Dick, the bruiser was a porn star, <laughs> but he wasn't. Uh, my first meeting, Dick, the bruiser was in the new Orleans airport. I was, I was sent out there by the big cowboy to pick bruiser up because he was going to be the special referee that night in a, in a big downtown, uh, municipal auditorium event in new Orleans that did really well. And, uh, he got off his plane and even though I'd never met him, which is also funny in the story, he's wearing a lime green double knit suit. that No shirt, but a tank top. That was also lime green. He, he was illuminated. So I went up to him and, sh- and introduced myself. And he says, How'd you know it was me? I said, Well, this uh, deductive reasoning, Mr. Bruiser. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck to call him. Right. So uh, anyway, it was fun. The ride from the airport back to the building was fun because he had story after story after story. And, you know, he's one of those guys that if you talk we're talking baseball and he's in that Gehrig, uh, you know, situation, you know, uh, just the, any great, the great hitters in that era, that older era, in the forties and the fifties and the sixties bruiser would fit right there. And he had his own his little style. He didn't do anything, perf- uh, you know, exotic. He rarely left his feet. Uh, but he get, get great promos and he had the look of a badass. He played football for Green Bay. And, you know, he'd been, I think he'd been at some trouble with the NFL rules and stuff. But I enjoyed being around him. He was, he was fun. And, and I enjoyed hearing him and watching stories. It's like Fisherman Conrad. When two old wrestlers get together, the first liar ain't got a chance. Because <laughs> whoever goes first, he knows he's going to get your story topped. So I, I love those, 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 times. That was a fun thing. And I'm honored. I got to meet Dick. the Bruiser.
0: sold out hanging from the raster at rafters every night. Right? Well, sure. <laughs> so let's talk about what's happening on the other channel. Of course, we're talking about WCW and 91 here, but what about the WWF? Well, they tried an interesting little experiment on Wednesday, November 27th. They hold the survivor series and then the following Tuesday. December 3rd, they hold Tuesday in Texas. What we're talking about are two fully priced pay-per-views inside of six days. When you see this happening on the other channel, Jim, do you think a could it work for us? B will it work or C what the hell are they doing?
1: Well, all those things, quite frankly, cause all those thoughts come through your mind, uh, and this is no exception, you know, obviously if they did something new. Uh, and innovative. If we felt like it would work for us, why wouldn't we try it? Is one sure. question. Uh, secondly, we were certainly, uh, tuned in to see if they, if it was going to work. And, uh, so, you know, yeah, we were very interested in how that was going to work and, you know, but they had a huge ass network, man, and they could get the word out to their core audience that we've got to, you know, we got a we got an idea here, we want to do this or we can't do this or whatever. But nonetheless, it was an interesting uh, venture for WCW. It took a lot of balls to do it.
0: Let's uh, also mention you've got a set of TV tapings going into Starcade that's going to have a lot of direction changes. and here's a few I want to talk about. Marcus Bagwell got a couple of tryouts and will eventually join the company. Uh, and of course, we know he's even going to be a part of this Starcade 91 event. Uh, this is years before we got buff. Marcus Alexander Bagwell, though, became the rookie of the year. And I mean, he looked like a can't miss prospect. And of course, we know uh, he had an incredible run as a heel there for WCW. But what'd you think about the very young, early days of Marcus Alexander Bagwell?
1: Well, you can see talent. You can see talent there. He Marcus had talent and athletic, uh, you know, sometimes the sins of the road are harder to manage for some people than others. Uh, and he was a very personable outgoing guy, but there's no doubt from day one, you could tell he had some abilities and good abilities. There's a pretty convoluted
0: storyline where Johnny B bad is going to turn baby face, he's going to align himself with PN news and what a tag team that is. And Meltzer had this to ask how come when bad debuted, he had no clue as to what to do in the ring. And he was pushed like crazy and beat everyone. Then when he improves a thousand percent and gets over really strong and learns to play his gimmick second to none, he gets buried while instead they push van hammer, like he's the second coming who was five times worse in every way and not over one tenth as much. Do you think time just ran up maybe creative? Perhaps dusty's confidence started to wane in Mark Merrow in real life.
1: We're throwing things against the wall. Conrad what's going to stick. Yeah. What idea is going to stick? What concept may stick. It may never be our cup of tea and likely won't, but we are just trying to something to throw something against the wall that maybe will stick. And we make a star. We we're desperately looking to make stars.
0: Um, Van Hammer though famous story about him coming yeah. in, and of course Arn Anderson tells the story that you know he struts through the locker room in his gear and got the guitar around his neck, all oiled up, and basically says, "I'm here to save the company, guys." Yeah, uh, and, and and I'm sure certain folks in WCW felt like, well, hey, he can be our version of the Ultimate Warrior or what have you. Yeah, you uh, never know. Van Hammer though, too much too soon. You think?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Way too too much too soon. Uh, he needed to he need a lot more seasoning. He needed to go off Broadway and, and 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 refine his gimmick and not be on national television trying to find his way. That's not the place to audition. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about out of think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is
0: far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right? I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was a 100%.
1: You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen.
0: Uh, Teddy Long and Lady Blossom are going to disappear from TV around this time. Is this just... Uh, a fundamental phasing out of managers, not named Paul Heyman, or is this budget concerns, or what do you think is the uh, reasoning or rationale for Teddy long and lady blossom moving off of TV?
1: Well, they've been around a while and you know, they need something to be freshened up or if nothing else. So I didn't have a problem with that. They need to be freshened up so we could utilize them better monetize their characters, uh, But no doubt, at least in my mind, and that you'd be surprised to hear that really wasn't the total consensus that Paul Heyman was the guy. Uh, You know, I, I, I just thought we were blessed to have him and he was young and full of great ideas and energy. And, uh, but yeah, he was, he was going to be the manager as he is now, the best in the business and, uh, but some of my cohorts didn't feel as such. But time always tells.
0: Uh, Jim Hurd, Dusty Rhodes, who wasn't a big Paul Heyman fan,
1: I'm not sure Hurd was, and I I don't I think Dusty had his days where he was. I mean, Dusty was a smart guy. He could see talent. He could see that Heyman had it. Now, are you a good enough manager? And a creative entrepreneur to manage it, that's the key. And, uh, you know, it ain't, it's not easy managing Paul Heyman, uh, he's challenging, uh, and, and some of them didn't want to put out the effort. So, uh, look, I got him as a broadcast partner because nobody else wanted to work with him. So I was blessed to do have that opportunity to make that happen. So I don't know. I, to me, it was just, a it was just a no brainer. Paul's personality was challenging for some people to deal with that. That can't be a surprise to anybody listening. Can't be so, uh, but I thought he had uh great marketability and he was in that Heenan level real quick, cornet level, and anytime you're being talked about with Bobby Heenan or Jim Cornette in my wrestling world, that's a uh, that's pretty tall. Gotten.
0: The Observer would uh, have this as well. Nearly everyone is saying that Jerry Jarrett will be coming into work as Co-Booker with Dusty Rhodes in 1992, but sources tell us that it is far from a done deal. Although Jarrett has talked with TBS about things, ultimately we know it's going to be Bill Watts. In hindsight. Do you think Jerry Jarrett's existence working with uh, the Turner folks would have been much different than Bill Watts's?
1: Hard to say. Really hard to say. I mean, Jerry would have brought fresh ideas and a newness uh, to the to the office. No doubt, he certainly had plenty of experience. Nothing was going to happen on his watch that he hadn't experienced before. But I don't know how he, how, how he would have been. How how is he going to? intertwined with he being Jerry Jarek pronoun boy. Uh, I don't know how Jerry would have interfaced with both dusty and heard. And that, that makes me scratch my head a little bit. Now one's gotta be the boss and you know, they're all been used to that. I gotta be the guy. And wrestlers are the worst when they're given booking jobs. They got to be the guy. So I don't know. I don't know how it would have been Connie, but I know that if they were willing to work together between the two of them, you're pretty well accomplish anything I wanted to in pro wrestling.
0: Meltzer would write starcade will consist of a drawing to determine 10 tag team matches and the 10 winning teams will then go to a 20 man, two ring battle Royal. The idea is for this to become an annual concept for Starcade, as WCW wants to do exclusively theme shows on pay-per-view at the same time. The WWF is adding title match main events to its theme shows. The idea being we've had the survivor series and the Royal rumble on the other side, eventually we know they're even going to put the King of the ring on pay-per-view, but we want something of our own here in WCW. So we've got this battle bowl concept, which. In theory is a decent little idea, but golly, from a promoter standpoint, like as a kid, I thought, man, that's, that's fun. But as a promoter standpoint, it's kind of hard to get fans excited and willing to come out of their pocket to pay the 30 bucks or whatever it costs. If you don't know exactly what the heck you're going to see. Right.
1: Totally. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. (laughs) Uh, that's not good salesmanship. Yeah. Uh, In Any product. I guarantee you, you don't have anything in your vast repertoire and within the the loan business that isn't clearly explained one, because that's how you sell. And two, there are rules and regulations by governing bodies that make us want it. We have to be, uh, you know, transparent. So we did do a good job of that. Uh, it was a lot of half-ass ideas, you know, well, it sounds good. Oh, it's going to be, we make movies.
0: <laughs> we make movies. I know where that's from. Uh, this idea though, battle bowl, this feels like it's out of the brain of dusty roads. Is that the way you remember it?
1: I think it was. Yeah. Funny. I think it was, uh, it, you know, I would be surprised if it wasn't let me put it that way. Do I remember specifically? Uh, no, but that's the thing makes the most sense.
0: Meltzer would call uh, the sting cactus Jack submission or surrender match on worldwide quote, the best match I've seen on American TV since at the very least Flair Pillman from both 90 and 91, this era of cactus Jack is really criminally underrated. I mean, I think this is when he started to become a main eventer. I mean, he had certainly had some, some great spectacles and different promotions and what have you. Uh, but it feels like he's sort of been middle of the card. And now here in 90, late 91, uh, he starts to prove that he can be a top guy, but I don't know that everybody in management in WCW really saw that. I know you were an advocate for him in the WWF. Did you see it in Jack here in 91?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's in, it comes in different levels. And different presentations, but absolutely. Yeah, no doubt.
0: Uh, the world wrestling federation is going to announce Well,
1: Conrad, kind of, one reason for that is, and I know this is not a very sexy thing to talk about, you want people <coughs> in your locker room that aren't shit disturbers yeah? That, that always have a better way of doing something. Uh, if it's not built all around them, then it's wrong automatically wrong because it doesn't feature me. And, and so Mick never had that kind of ego. He wanted to be on top because that's where the money was. And they're all, that's the common denominator. If you're worth your salt, you're here for the money and nothing else, the money. So, uh, yeah, I, I I always thought Mick was going to be a big star and and I thought, I love what he brought to the dance and, and he, he counseled a lot of guys he helped a lot of guys. He took the time. It's like, i coming by my place here. He didn't have to do that. He did it on his drive home from Atlanta. You know, so he was, uh, he's a special person and I, and I, uh, I'm glad we were able to get him.
0: The WWF is going to institute their very first steroid policy. Uh, the story comes out about it on entertainment tonight and inside edition. You at this point had been around wrestling for a long, long time. Did you ever think you would see steroid testing and entertainment like this? I mean, I think people were expecting it in the Olympics and boxing and football and all that sort of thing, but did you think you'd see it in pro wrestling?
1: I thought, uh, yes. And I thought the reason being is that the company is so public, uh, so out there, these massive physiques. It was a, it was a burden that they didn't have to carry if they chose to. So, uh, I wasn't surprised, uh, on, on how it was coming about because to me, it seemed like it was just inevitable. It's going to have to happen at some point in time. And, uh, but I'm all for the drug testing without a doubt. I'm not, I'm not as personally acrimonious to the steroids. If they're done under doctors' care, and they're just not half done in the back of the gym, uh, but I think the other drugs that doctors get friendly with talents, and I've seen that happen dozens and dozens of times. Uh, they're uh, they're eat, they're like sheep led to slaughter. They got that buzz and ain't nothing else they need. That's sad. So yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a drug testing guy. If if you're asking me. If you got to, you know, I, I just think it's smart business. And the other thing is, the other thing is getting physicals. Blood work, you know, Eddie Guerrero would probably be still alive. I'd like to hope if he was, uh, uh, had physicals and had his heart checked and all those things. Right. So I think that overall, the drug testing is a good good idea. So, uh, and how it's administered and all the in-house things and the loopholes and all all that shit I ain't getting into, but, uh, the, the general concept of, of, of testing your athletes, they're still athletes to me. It's a good idea.
0: When this happens and, and you hear about it and you see it on TV and all that, do you remember there being discussion? on the WCW side of things that, Hey, maybe we need to do something like that. Do you think this even winds up on someone like Ted Turner's desk? And maybe he needs to be involved in this decision.
1: It might've, I think there was any talk about it, be honest with you. It's about how much it was going to cost us to execute it. Right. And I think that's, that would be a big pushback from an uninformed audience.
0: Uh, I (laughs) want to mention, um, Rick flair is going to finally give back the big gold belt after a long lengthy battle with Jim Hurd. Uh, it seems to be that cooler heads are finally prevailing. Uh, do you remember this being a big relief to Jim Hurd, or at that point, was it just in the rearview mirror and we're on to bigger and better things?
1: I think it was a rear view mirror. And as much as that it was done Yeah, and really not a whole hell of a lot more, uh, Cause that thing had been, been passed around so to speak for a long time. So I think people are happy that it was just, let's just move on.
0: You had to uh, England to do a promotional tour for some upcoming house shows over there yep. and you go with Johnny B bad and PN news. Please <laughs> God. Tell me you remember this. There have to be good stories here.
1: Uh, yeah, I, uh. I know that we were in, uh, let me think we stayed two days in London and had a great PR guy, uh, cause I saw him doing a bunch of stuff on the Olympics the last time they were in that neighborhood, uh, great food, you know, uh, I think, uh, I think the, uh, the most fun was in, uh, in Ireland. Because we were there on St. Patrick's Day, I'd never seen anything like that in my life. It was like the uh, Mardi Gras on steroids, thickened of steroids. Everybody was partying, everybody was drinking. They're in the streets, they're falling out of bars, coming into bars, uh, getting hugs from women you didn't know, or like that. Uh, so it was a, it was an interesting trip. They flew us first class. I remember that which was really cool. And uh, I don't know, you know, PN News is getting the big star treatment, first-class airfare. And uh, you got guys at the main events that never flown for had hadn't flown first-class yet. So, and then, and then uh, Johnny B. Bad. So there you go, To And there are new gimmicks and fresh fr- products. You're hoping one of them might catch fire. That's all. But it was a fun trip and, uh, they took good care. It was good hotels. Uh, it, it makes traveling doable, but I like being, uh, in uh, Dublin on St. Patrick's day. I don't remember a lot of that. Cause I really got drunk on St. Patrick's night, 1991 <laughs> in Ireland at all places. It was cool. Let's talk about
0: Ricky Steamboat. Uh he's going to uh, rejoin WCW in time for Clash of the Champions. And boy, between Steamboat and Rick Rude coming into fold, this is a pretty big shot in the arm as far as the in ring work, is it not?
1: Yeah, yeah. All those guys are stars. They're stars. So uh yeah, it was a uh, it was a nice influx of talent. And you notice uh this is where we put them all with Paul. Right. Wouldn't Haman and Haman, they're going to be their manager. Yeah.
0: The dangerous Alliance is going to, Yeah, come that was thing. a good group. Yeah,
1: that was, that was a really good group. Look at the talent in that group. Unbelievable, Shit. So and that's, what's frustrating Conrad about going back at that time and reviewing it, watching the show, et cetera, et cetera, that we're talking about here. Uh, you know, we had talent to have great matches, there's no reason that that brand was not drawn. It was the booking, no focus, such our wagon to something or somebody and go. And, uh, it just, for whatever the reason, and a lot of it was politics. It just never worked.
0: Let's, uh, also mention the, uh, other big news in the world. There's a big magic Johnson, HIV story that really changed a lot of things, at least in global sports and well, more than just sports. But as a result, WCW is going to institute a total blood ban, at least according to the observer, how big of a story was this with inside Turner back here in 91.
1: Well, on the uh, administrative side, they were supportive because they thought it was barbaric to cut a, take a razor blade, and cut your skin. <clears throat> uh, a lot of the wrestlers who grew up in a different era just saw one of their most dramatic props taken away from them. So I guess it depends on your perspective, but it's not a bad idea because you find yourself guys getting juice. Uh, and just for the sake of getting it to add, to add to their match, you know, it's always the same little bullshit. I just want to get over brother. Right. Well, you, you get over that, the blood you really can. And cause you're a great worker. You don't need to fucking lean on the blood as a crutch. So but some guys are not happy and the corporate boys were like, they did something to save the world.
0: Let's get to the uh, Clash of the Champions on our way here to the Big Starcade event. The uh, show does a 4.3 rating, which is 2.4 million homes. These days, of course, when we talk about ratings, Jim, we say people, but this is homes here. So this is well over 3 million people checking this out. Um, the Dangerous Alliance is going to start to take shape here. We've got Bobby Eaton joining the Enforcers, Arn Anderson. And Larry Zabisco, of course, Steve Austin and Rick Rude and Medusa, they're all here. And it starts with the clash where Luger jumps Sting during an interview segment with a little help from Medusa's Distraction. And it's a, a pretty great piece of business. It's a show-long thread about Bobby Eaton telling Sting to head to the hospital. And then Rude and Paul have the contract set that Rude can win the title if Sting fails to show. And there's a layer of storytelling here that doesn't really happen all that often in modern wrestling. Uh, would Heyman have been involved in this? Is this all a dusty story? This is really well done.
1: I think it's it got to be a collaborative effort. Yeah. Because Heyman's, Heyman's going to be very, very invested emotionally and creatively in, in his storyline to the point of doing it and going so deep as to, to be allowed to go that deep. So I think it just, he was helping Dusty do his job a little bit there, which is a good collaborative effort. There's nothing wrong with that. So, uh, but, but you look at also look at the guys in this dangerous alliance. They all knew what they're there to do. They all knew how to execute. They all knew what they needed to do to make this work. So, you know, uh, I thought that was a, just a great unit. Maybe they're one of the more fun factions. That I've ever been around that didn't get his full run. They should have been, they should have been, uh, it should have been longer for them. And there's no telling how great they would have been.
0: Let's, uh, also mention something that is printed in the Observer. I don't know if it's true or not. Jim Crockett Jr. had a renewed influence in creative. Is that right? Do you remember him? popping back up. I know after WCW is a thing once Turner purchases, Jim Crockett promotions, it's not too terribly long before Jim heard comes in, but do you remember there at least being conversations where he was more active with maybe Jim Hurd winding down here in late 91.
1: Yeah. I think I remember there's some, some casual discussions about that. Uh, just like so many things there, a lot of people talk a good game. Good idea here. we we'll get this guy. He could help us out. He could be a consultant. He could, and they just never understood the, the symmetry of booking a television show and incorporating numerous uh, pieces of input from the creative team because you're always going to get pushed back from the guy in charge. And that's just no different then or now or wherever else. That's going to change. It's not going to change. You think those? You think those cats from uh, that are writing 1883 and Yellowstone? This one dude writes it all, right? You think he wants a bunch of ham eggers walking <laughs> into the writing room and saying, "Hey, I got a, I got an idea for uh, for John Dutton." No, there's got. I'm sure there's a policy in place, but come on. It's his show. He his vision, he knows where he wants to take it. Now, once they get so deep into the show, there might be a, a time or a need that, that somebody provides an idea, but, uh, you know, the head writers, he's a, he's a be all end all. And it's, that's what, that's how it works.
0: Uh, Lex Luger and Rick Steiner are going to main event this clash of the champions and Meltzer tells an interesting story that Luger's contract was an issue at the time because his dates were all used up. And as a result where maybe there's time left on the contract, but he's used all the appearances rather than come out of pocket and continue to try to negotiate and pay Luger more money where he probably had more leverage. What if we just made Rick Steiner the champ? Do you think that talk ever got too serious that maybe Rick Steiner could have become a almost interim champion here?
1: Well, a lot of us would have enjoyed that opportunity to see that materialize. Sure. But I don't know how serious this conversation has got the, the more time was spent on getting Luger's issues settled. And so you continue on. So, you know, it's, this place was a mess, man. <laughs> it was a mess brother.
0: Uh, we're coming off of, uh, Harley race being fired and Lex Luger quitting in protest, uh, of course we know it eventually got patched up, but the bloom is off the rose with the Turner organization and Lex Luger here to say the least fair to say.
1: Yeah, fair to say it never, it never, it never clicked the way that they had envisioned, they were looking for Hulk Hogan and our Ric Flair. It's wasn't there,
0: uh, for more Lex Luger talk, go check out our Lex Luger episode in the archives over at grillingjr.com. But it's announced that the Atlantic city and uh, Trump Taj Mahal event will be named super brawl and Lex Luger and sting will be headlining the event. Um, just two weeks later, it's announced that Donald Trump pulled the show from the building because he was attempting to book the building for a one-on-one game between Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Dr. J. Uh, and then, uh, it had to ultimately go to Milwaukee, but this shows you where we are, you know, Donald Trump is, it's obviously his building. It's his venue. And, uh, he had, he had done some big business a couple of years prior with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage here, but, uh, yeah, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and Dr. J were more appealing to Mr. Trump at the time. And WCW was, uh. Uh, second fiddle say the least.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, Conrad. And when you had when that happens, your soup comes taste, out tasting differently almost every time. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I remember those days. There's always something happening. Oh, this we're going to change this. I know going, I remember going to Milwaukee too. I bought a tie there that mall. <laughs> I did. And I, just, I think it was one of Cowboys first shows. Uh, and I think, I think it was that show that, uh, Hillman and Liger wrestled. Seems like it was, but I might be wrong. Uh,
0: let's also talk about KP TV, which is channel 12 in Portland. They're going to actually cancel Don Owens, Portland wrestling. This is actually of note because he had had this time slot and, and been on channel 12 for 38 years. It's
1: amazing, isn't it?
0: And uh I mean when people talk about you know the great territories of of yesteryear, his name always comes up. Roddy Piper yeah. was was super loyal to him. Any good memories of of working with Don or stories you heard about Don?
1: I was only around him like at the Coffee Alley Club things like that because I never made it out to to Portland. Uh but he, Don Owen was, was one of the most honorable, same breath. You would speak of Sam Muchnick or Paul Bosch. Uh, you would speak of Don Owen one of the real honest promoters and a, a guy that, uh, that instilled instill the loyalty from guys, uh, like, uh, rowdy, rowdy to run a territory and have a TV show on for 38 years is unbelievable in a good way.
0: Dynamite kid is going to announce his retirement coming off the 91, uh, all Japan tag team tournament. Do you remember there ever being any conversation or consideration? We know eventually Davey boy is going to pop up here for you guys, but what about dynamite kid? Was he ever even on WCW's radar?
1: Might've been casually on the radar, might've been casually on the radar, but you know, Tommy came with a lot of baggage. Yeah. And if you don't, if you know about it, and you know that this is probably not going to change, you know, nobody, no, it was it sure as hell wasn't his wrestling ability. No, Dynamite Kid was one of the greatest of all time, without a doubt. So, uh, but I don't think he was ever high on the list because uh, because of all the injuries, and he's always playing hurt, and that was sad.
0: What do you think his career would have looked like had he been born, say fifteen years later?
1: Well he'd made more money.
0: He was the way ahead of his real. time though, stylistically, was he not?
1: Oh oh yeah, yeah, he'd have fit in today.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean Tommy Billington could headline a match with with uh, uh Brian Danielson. And it would hold up today. If they were both healthy, and all that good stuff. So yeah, I uh, but I wish you know, that would have been that would have been cool to have him, but uh, just wrong place, wrong time.
0: Uh, the Observer would write on the Wrestling Hotline: Jim Ross brought up uh, several names in regards to who might be coming to WCW. He called the Ultimate Warrior a big long shot, and said that Terry Gordy was negotiating, and he hoped Steve Williams would come in. If Gordy did. And that Great Muda was probable for an extended tour at ninety two. And he also brought up Scott Norton's name. Was Warrior not just to fit with WCW stylistically, or was it just about the financials? You didn't think he could
1: afford him. Financials was the big block. Yeah. And a schedule that he demanded. Basically a part time schedule. And uh we weren't we weren't really ready for that. Uh,
0: regarding the, um, Starcade Byrate, rate Meltzer would say, looking at all this, since there is some potential for interesting matchups, particularly since they aren't really going to blind draw the thing. And hopefully they'll be booked with ideas in mind that will maximize the effectiveness of the talent. As for the battle Royal with very few exceptions. Every time I watch a battle Royal, I come out of it with the feeling that if I never saw another battle Royal for the rest of my <laughs> life, I'm not going to be missing anything entertaining. My feeling, I, I can
1: I, I can concur with that to some degree, Conrad. By the way,
0: I mean, really, there's been two I can think of that were entertaining, and outside of that, I'm okay without
1: them. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, You know, in one era of of our wrestling life, you had once a year you had a battle royal. Yeah, you know, special. Uh, But it's uh, the the little the uh, the bloom is off the battle royal rose, shall we say?
0: Meltzer would say my feeling is without any direct matches to promote the show is going to draw an audience limited to those who will order every pay-per-view no matter what, but will be bolstered by a very small amount by the fact that the week after Christmas seems to be an opportune time for a pay-per-view show. At least they aren't going head to head with the seventh game of the world series, which of course we've mentioned happened uh, at the Halloween havoc show. Interesting to note though. You know, when people talk about WrestleMania, you couldn't tell that story without talking about Hulk Hogan. He was uh, a staple and really the building block for WrestleMania, and much like Starcade was with Ric Flair. Now, here in 91, this will be the very first Starcade without Ric Flair involved, which is pretty doggone weird. Uh, let's get to the show, though. The readers of The Observer, well, they agreed with me 72.4% thumbs down for this show. We got 155,000 buys, which is pretty decent, especially in modern terms. That's down from 1990s, 165,000 buys as a reminder that year was sting versus the black scorpion. So we're not exactly having two great starcades here back to back, but we are up 35,000 buys from Halloween havoc, which might've had something to do with the doggone world series. Who knows, but Meltzer did say this. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone were uh, quite frequently making references to moves and incidents, not just in the battle Royal, but in many of the tag matches that the viewer couldn't see because the cameras were pointed somewhere else. It's considered the Cardinal sin for an announcer to talk about something the viewer can't see because it makes poor camera work obvious, but geez, if they didn't, we'd never know. There was actually some good stuff taking place in the building. If you watched this show this week, you saw. The production is just off the rails. They've got graphics on top of each other. Like when they go to the the three man stand where it's Magnum TA and Missy Hyatt and Eric Bischoff, they have all three of their names with Missy Hyatt's name being in the middle. And they just slap that logo for the pay-per-view right over the top of her name, and then. You know, when, when Eric Bischoff is trying to throw it to the 40 wrestlers and their pyro going off, the camera just stands there awkwardly staring at them as they nervously look at each other for several seconds, <laughs> then the curtains are delayed, then the, the pyro's not on time. And there are several times where Missy Hyatt thinks that she is off mic, but she still has a live mic. And she's saying, can I run to the bathroom? And it, <laughs> it is, it's not her fault, by the way, WCW is owned by a television station. And as we say here in the South, Jim, they just didn't have their shit together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was poorly produced, unfortunately. Well, Hey, it's, uh, another day at the office, you're doing live TV. As Vince would say, nothing can go wrong. Well, oh yes, they can. <laughs> so uh, it just was, it, it's just the concept was just, uh, was just not good. And, you know, he, I know a lot of hard, people worked real hard on it but it's just was one of those nights where it wasn't you know it wasn't the thing that we were seeking to prov- to provide it just it just wasn't we we failed i agree with that 78% i uh, we, we failed on this one so but anyway it was it was challenging to do as a broadcaster i promise you the
0: show opens now, remember there's a lottery where we're drawing names. We've got a camera on the baby face locker room, a camera on the heel locker room. That's as silly as it sounds. And then, uh, we would see Michael Hayes from the heel side and he pulls Tracy Smothers, their opponents, Jimmy Garvin. That's right. The other free bird is now the opponent for Michael Hayes and his tag partner will be Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Garvin and Bagwell get the win in 12 minutes and 42 seconds. Uh, Bagwell pins smothers with a fisherman suplex. And Meltzer even says that Bagwell seems to have a good deal of potential. So it's a big pay-per-view debut for Marcus Alexander Bagwell, but this is uh what's to come, right? I mean Freebird versus Freebird, I guess that's interesting enough. But this is just an odd pairing, isn't it? I mean, I know that's the idea. Yeah, but it's one of those things where on paper, it sounds great. And then an execution, you're like, okay, I've seen it. How many more of these do we have to do?
1: Right. Well, that, that's kind of it. You know, yeah. that's kind of it. That's the, you hope that you came out of that, uh, uh, random thing with success. Uh, maybe a little bit more sizzle, more star power than what we provided them in the beginning, the very first match. But yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, we, we were trying to illustrate what the hell we're trying to sell you. We've already sold you. You're here, but, uh, you still want to know what the concept's going to be. And it was just a cluster.
0: Uh, next up, we get the dangerous Alliance. It's going to be Rick rude teaming with Steve Austin. And remember these were picked at random wink, wink. Uh, and they're going to be beating uh van hammer and big Josh, uh, 12 minutes and 55 seconds rude pins, van hammer. And Meltzer would speculate that for Van Hammer to take the pin, this must be the end of his mega push. Meanwhile, Big Josh, though, is gonna one day go on to be Doink the Clown. The real life Matt Bourne was one hell of an in ring performer, and he's tagging with Van
1: Hammer here. He's a speaking of uh, Don Owens. Uh you yep. know, Matt Bourne was a Don Owens guy. Uh, and so is uh I think so was Matt's father for that for that matter, uh, yeah, it was, we're just moving through this, this format, which we've already determined is not good. So you just hope something's going to stick here and it's going to jump out there and it's going to become interesting or, 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 or have a hell of a match something pop, but we aren't getting that right now.
0: Uh next up we've got Dustin Rhodes teaming with Richard Morton. Now remember this isn't Ricky Morton. He's now part of uh, Alexandra York's York Foundation. So Dustin's baby face, Richard, is a heel. And they'll be taking on Larry Zabisco and the experiment known as Eligante. Let me process what we got here. Larry Zabisco, Dustin Rhodes, Ricky Morton, and Eligante on a pay-per-view. Uh, yep. Z- Zabisco eats the pen, <laughs> uh, Meltzer gave it three quarters of a star. I mean, Dustin and, and, and Ricky Morton tag team specialists, phenomenal wrestlers. Larry Zabisco can hold his own, but Eligante boy, what a
1: roster. That's why uh, Eligante was in there. With those guys,
0: <laughs> cause they can hide it. Right. They can camouflage it.
1: Oh yeah. Well, that's what it was. He was given specific spots that we thought he could do well, right? And that's where where it was, man. And again, you're you're begging for a hit, and uh, we thought, well, maybe it'll maybe Luger and Anderson against uh, Terry Taylor and Tom Zink will open their eyes, and it did. It did pretty good. It, that match was the best match to date on that show.
0: Uh, next up is maybe the strangest match that ever happened on pay-per-view diamond Dallas page, not the cool version that we saw in 1997, but the 1991, just getting his feet wet version is going to be teaming with the former road agent, Mike Graham, who's now back in the ring and their opponents are bill Kazmaier, the world's strongest man. Again, another experiment where we're trying to teach a guy who can bench press a Buick, how to wrestle. And his tag team partner, Jushin thunder Liger, who's not only from Japan, but he might as well be from Mars. It is a totally different type of wrestling and presentation than what he's used to and Meltzer says it right off the bat. What a waste of Liger Liger did a few nice moves. Some of which Graham didn't sell right since he's probably never taken those moves in his entire career. I mean, we say a lot of times that styles make fights when it comes to the UFC, but this is styles clash and not the AJ finishing move, but DDP, <laughs> Mike Graham, Jushin Liger, bill Kazmier that feels like, I don't know, uh, something, somebody thought up well uh, on mushrooms. Somebody's on acid here. This, this is wild.
1: Yeah. And it's uh, there, there's no reasoning for it. I can't say well, Conrad in my infinite wisdom, <laughs> right? Uh, here's why that happened. There's no logical reason. Uh, and, uh, Meltzer was right. That's not the way you use a young Jushin Liger's skills. Uh, and of course they're still getting want to protect El Gigante. The jury, the jury was still deciding if his his sentence. Does he go to the death chamber sooner than later or, or is he okay? And, uh, so anyway, uh, I, I just. We're looking for a hit. We're looking for a hit. And, uh, like I said, we finally found something that we could hang our hat on uh, in the form of Luger and Anderson versus Terry Taylor and Tom Zink. Uh, and that was a pretty good match.
0: Yeah. Uh, Luger and Arn taking on Taylor and Zink goes 10 and a half minutes, three and a quarter stars. Meltzer says it blew away everything else on the show. Um, Terry Taylor, obviously very capable in the ring, as is Arn Anderson. Lex Luger is the champ, one of the biggest stars here, and Tom Zink is a guy that the office has been high on forever. And uh, of course, Tony Schiavone's favorite, most handsome wrestler. Uh, <laughs> next up, we've got Cactus Jack. He's supposed to be teaming with Buddy Lee Parker, but as soon as they announced that Buddy Lee Parker is his tag team partner. Abdullah, the butcher beats the shit out of him backstage, which is hilarious to see because none of the heels give one damn about buddy Lee or want to bother Abdullah. So they just watch, Uh, on the other side, it's Ricky steamboat and Todd champion and Todd champion looks like a wrestler as Bruce likes to say. and, And then the bell rang, um, seven minutes and 48 seconds. The psychology for this is all over the place or so. Meltzer thinks. Star and a half. Uh, as soon as Buddy Lee Parker actually made his way back down there and tags in, he's quickly pinned by Steamboat. But Cactus Jack and everything he and Steamboat do really jump off the screen. They're two megastars here. Uh, but the rest of the match is just a mess.
1: Yeah. It was. You know, and th- there's another case. Putting Abdullah in a tag match and a cold tag match, is that the thing that? Is that how you use him the best it's like lagers do we, you know, you got limited dates on these dudes. So, uh, I don't, I didn't get that, that, that booking, but I was not going to go ask. Uh, speaking of Abdul, the butcher,
0: he's going to team with sting in the next match and uh, take on Bobby Eaton and Brian Pillman in five minutes and 37 seconds. That's worth repeating. Sting and Abdullah the Butcher are a tag team. Of course, Bobby Eaton is trying to end Sting as part of the Dangerous Alliance. Brian Pillman is Sting's friend, but not in this match. Um I could I mean, I could get behind wanting to see Abdullah the Butcher versus Brian Pillman for sure. But what do you know? Cactus comes down to try to interfere. Uh, he's going to take a big uh, swing at Sting. Of course, he misses. He hits uh Abby and then staying crossbodies bodies eating for the pen and there you go. Three and a quarter stars. The finish is less than awesome. What'd you think?
1: Uh, pretty much the same. It was anticlimactic because Abdullah was miscast. That was the old square peg round hole thing. And it just wasn't, uh. It was not good use of, of Abdullah's skills, his skill set. He was one dimensional, keep you in that dimension. Uh, but for him to have a sense of continuity and teamwork and, part, and a, an alliance with another tag team partner just didn't make sense to me. You
0: know, I mean, I just want to recap what we're doing here. Cactus Jack is going to try to hit Sting. His friend Abdullah the Butcher's tag team partner, and Abdullah the Butcher is holding Sting's arms back, so Cactus Jack can hit his own tag team partner, and, <laughs> and and then once Sting flies off the top rope onto Bobby Eaton, he doesn't want Abdullah the Butcher to break up the pin, so he asks his friend Brian Pillman, his opponent in the match, to stop his own partner from breaking. This is uh, who's on first—the wrestling version.
1: Yeah, it's not good. Not good, Conrad. It's obviously you are we're having to explain as we go. Uh it just it wasn't pretty. No, it wasn't so like I can say it was not pretty.
0: But we're not done. After the match, they're gonna brawl to the back. When I say they, I mean cactus and Abdul the Butcher. Um I love these guys, their chemistry and the story. i just I'm a cactus Jack Mark in ninety one. Love his stuff. And I love these next guys too. Vader is here in 91. Now this is before he goes on a tear and becomes the monster that we know him as, but it's early WCW Vader and he's teaming with Mr. Hughes, who I thought at the time was going to wind up being a really, really big star. He had an interesting look. Uh, he could do some, uh, some cool stuff for a big guy. He was very quick. I mean, to me, this is like, I don't know, the African-American big boss man, you know, in that he's wrestling in different type of gear, but he's got some size and he can move. Why do not you think? Mr. Hughes achieved more in
1: wrestling. Oh, uh, so Curtis had good days and bad days. He's hell of an athlete and he's, uh, he's a hell of a teacher right now. He's doing real well coaching and uh, being an instructor there out of Atlanta. And, but I just don't think maybe his heart was as much into it then as is, it is in his training now, just growing up and, and, uh, you know, being ready for opportunity. And in the early days, he didn't seem to be ready.
0: I want to mention, uh, their opponents are going to be Rick Steiner and, uh, what would be Scott hall who's there as the diamond stud, but he's injured, got his arm in a sling. So he's getting uh Brian Clark to stand in for him as the night stalker. The future atom bomb here, if you will. Yeah. Steiner and Vader together is interesting to watch, but everything else, Meltzer would say, is not great. And then it's time for the other Steiner. Scott Steiner is going to wind up teaming with Chip the Firebreaker, which feels like Scott maybe lost a bet. And they're going to take on Arachnaman and Johnny B. Bad. Now Johnny B. Bad is a baby face now, still looks like a million bucks. Arachnaman is definitely out of the WCW Book of Bad Ideas. But arachnaman, this is around the the same time that I don't know. Uh we're trying these <laughs> over the top gimmicks. A Spider Man costume, but one yeah. where we won't get sued for it. Fair to and say. You know,
1: and you can see they're looking to lasso youngsters. Yes. All these are kids' gimmicks. And and the kids demo is obviously any other demo port. And one of the most important. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, there is, they're searching for children and we needed to make some children superheroes. And I don't think the news and Johnny B bad. And, uh, you know, Van hammer that would not have been my, that would not have been the model I rolled out. We had a guy that loved the kids loves. It's called sting. Yes. So you build around that. That's all.
0: But the kids build thing, I, you nailed it because Jim heard when I talked to him in our conversations with Conrad piece of business over at adfreeshows.com uh I brought up him trying the candy man because that is something that Tony Shavani had made fun of for years and he would say the goddamn candy man and and, and the idea being Heard had landed a sponsorship with, uh, Hershey. And so we could have giant Hershey bars and things like that ringside or what have you, but they wanted to have something for kids. And so they, they put this candy man gimmick, if you will, on Brad Armstrong, and they try another one here, Arachna man. whatever we can do. We think Brad Armstrong working with kids, he, he could be the idea, but maybe not so much.
1: Well, he could work with anybody, yeah. Brad Armstrong. There's no doubt about that. You still got to get back into presentation and introduction and, uh, the feel, the texture of the character, the vignettes, some wins over reputable people, uh, and all, a lot of that stuff was missing in the build. So I, I this, any failure of a Ragnar man or of a, a Candyman cannot go to the talent because Red Armstrong was fucking fabulous. It, you got to go with the creative, and the presentation just wasn't good for anybody. There's not a wrestler in the world that could have made that work the way it was. The way that it was presented.
0: Next up, we get Ron Simmons. This is before he gets the mega push with uh, Bill Watts. He's going to be teaming with Thomas Rich, which is the same as Tommy Rich, but with slick back hair and maybe a little extra poundage, uh, but he's a heel and he's gonna be taking on PN news <laughs> and Steve Armstrong. So we talked about Brad, uh, we've talked about a lot of the different Armstrong family over the years, but Steve Armstrong is almost like kind of like the forgotten Armstrong brother, one hell of a wrestler. I loved him in yeah. the tag team with Tracy, but we didn't see much of him. Later, what do you think? Why do you think that is? Why didn't he have more success or longevity? I don't
1: know what the story was on his exit. I don't know if he just got burned out. He wanted to do something else. He just wanted to step away from wrestling. I don't know, but I know he had great ability and being so big, I guess he was the biggest of the Armstrong's him road dog might've been same height. if I'm not sure. So I don't know. Conrad, I don't know what, I don't know what fifth that switch that got him to move away from wrestling, cause he has been around wrestling a long time or less. I'm just, or do you, are you aware that he's been doing anything? I, I'm not. Let's think of, um,
0: the 20 winners. Now the folks who won the 10 tag matches and they're going to get into a two ring battle Royal, not one, but two rings. So 20 guys in two rings. So it'll be 10 guys in one ring, 10 guys in another and the winner of each ring will then face each other in a match and wouldn't you know it it comes down to lex luger and sting now now jim if if you were at home and you weren't actually calling this show but you had come out of your pocket to buy it and you had to guess who do you think it's going to come down to in this final match wouldn't you have wound up on lex luger and sting probably
1: probably be honest with you just, we're trying to get too many people over. And so the focus dis- dissipates and that's what we're doing here. And then he went with the old reliable and then and Sting wins by a count out or the elim- eliminating Luger by throwing him out of the ring. It wasn't even a one, two, three, a Scorpion death lock, nothing. So I don't know what, I don't know what we, who we helped. If we helped anybody in that situation. The the pay-per-view was too busy. It was too gimmicky and it took too much explaining to tell you what you were saying. And anytime you get in a situation like that, you, you know, you're in a, a, a challenging booking environment that you as the broadcaster must explain.
0: Uh, Meltzer, uh, thought it was a dud. Uh, the actual battle Royal, he says Luger and sting one ring one and two res- uh, respectively in the two ring battle Royal battle Royals suck on pay-per-view A Royal rumble is usually good because not so many are in the ring at once. So they can work spots and you can follow the action, but traditional battle Royals don't make good TV, particularly when the action is going on in two rings simultaneously. Clearly there was a substantial amount of good action, but it was pretty bad overall. Luger yeah. ended up being the last one left in the first ring. And the second ring, the final four, were Rude, Austin, Sting, and Steamboat. Austin went out, then Rude and Steamboat went out simultaneously. Rude threw Steamboat over. Steamboat pulled himself up, grabbed the head scissors on Rude, and flipped him over while hanging. As Steamboat tried to flip himself back into the ring, Rude from the floor pulled him out in 1737. And uh Vader at this point, as a reminder is one week removed from becoming the IWGP champion, but he's yet to really be a top guy in WCW at this point. D- did you think right away when you saw Vader and his success and just his presence and physicality, he could be one of our top heels.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Cause I thought he'd be a great, great marriage with Sting. Uh, looked to me like a no brainer, the, you know, the superhero gets the the super villain, the monster heel. So, yeah, I thought that was a no brainer. Uh, now
0: we're gonna get Sting and Lex Luger in a singles match for six and a half minutes. Uh, ultimately, Sting throws out Luger to win the whole thing, and uh, it's really all to set up Sting and, and Luger at Super Brawl, but it's a great sprint with Rick rude and Harley Race involved before Sting gets the win. Uh, two and three quarter stars to close the show. In hindsight, Jim, this feels more like a television format. Maybe this would have worked well as a Clash of the Champions concept more so than a pay per view. What say you?
1: But, uh, I think you got you're onto something there, because we would have more time to explain. We could done packages. It could have been under control a little bit more. But uh, yeah, it maybe uh, this show may have been better suited to be a clash, uh, and not a pay per view. Just too many things you got to explain, and it just it was too messy. Too busy and fans don't want that shit, man. They're, they're spending their money. They're going to sit down. They're going to enjoy the a pay-per-view with their buddies, family, whatever. And they shouldn't have to take a primer course on what you're saying. It's wrestling. God it. Enjoy that. And, and we, we convoluted our wrestling with a bunch of stipulations and, uh, processes that made it a little bit challenging to watch.
0: Well, what hasn't been challenging to watch is, uh, AEW and I hope that, uh, everybody got a chance to see Jim's return last night. Um, I'm pretty excited about what we did in 2021, but even more pumped for 2022. And this is our last episode of the year, Jim. Can you believe it? Yeah. Well, this year flew by for me.
1: Yeah. It was fun. Conrad you know, I've loved every minute of these shows and I really appreciate everybody's, uh, support weekly. You know, we're every week we're in the top 10 globally in wrestling podcasts. And, uh, that's, uh, that's a, something I carry with me very proudly. So, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be on your team,
0: man. I, I'm delighted to be on yours. And by the way, I want to mention, uh, we've got a very special way to uh, close out the year over at AdFreeShows.com. First of all, you can get a free trial right now. So I don't know why you wouldn't. Uh, and if maybe you forgot to uh, grab a gift for the wrestling fan in your life, you can also gift a subscription now. More details over at AdFreeShows dot com, or just follow us on Twitter at AdFreeShows. But you All guys right. are going to do something pretty special. Uh, it's a nineteen eighty seven UWF. Uh, how about that, man? Doctor Death, Steve Williams, is going to be. Uh, celebrating his UWF title win, this is going to be uh, fun to go back and think about the good old days from '87 over at AdFreeShows.com. Is it not?
1: Yeah, a lot of great stars, and it was really under the Crockett uh, banner. So a lot of changes was going on. I think you'll enjoy what you're seeing, and I'll, uh, Paul Beltwell and I explain what you're seeing as far as uh, it being a uh, one of the first shows that uh, I work for Crockett on the wrestling network. And uh, I work with a fellow named Jack Gregory uh, on some of these shows. So it's a lot of moving parts and a lot of different faces, but I think you'll, you'll you're going to like it. And also uh, the WSB radio shows drop every Friday. And there is, that's kind of the secret sauce here. Because a lot of folks really like those interviews. They're not unrehearsed. And they're just funny, real. And so check that out if you can. And you can do all that for free you know, if you're a member of the Ad Free Network.
0: And don't forget, uh, with New Year's right around the corner, you would think it's getting cold outside. But right now, Jim, it's like 70 at my house, and I'm firing up the grill every doggone day, and it's yeah, tasting ma'am. great thanks to JRSBBQ.com.
1: <laughs> We had a great holiday business. Sure appreciate everybody uh, supporting us during the holidays. We had a great holiday season, and we're going to continue to do great service and provide new products, and it's going to be fun. So uh, I we got so many. It's kind of cool when people send you their pictures of their Christmas gifts they got from our, our site. I, I really take pride in that. It's a fun deal. So, yeah, it's going to be a good year all the way around. I just gotta to get totally healthy and uh rock and roll, baby. It's time to it's time to go hunt with the big dogs. That's what I've been waiting on for 30 days. So let's get it done. Let's have some fun.
0: Well, we've had a lot of fun this year on Grillin' JR. Hope you guys have as well. We'll be back next week. We're gonna start twenty twenty two with a bang. We'll see you back here each and every Thursday on Grillin' Jr. with the voice of wrestling. Mr. Jim Ross.
1: Happy New Year, everybody, and go Sooners. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titus and Callaway and blah, right? blah, How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen.